Hey super friends, my name is Neil and welcome to this episode 67 of the Geo Comic Con podcast. We're here fortnightly-ish to bring you a slice of film, TV and pop culture goodness from our studio direct to your listening device. I'm of course joined by my very own boy wonder Martin. Say hello Martin. Hello Martin. How is Martin today? He is acceptable. That's the best that we can hope for. Coming up this week we've got a couple of new stories to cover off and then we're going to be discussing... Uh, the brand new Scream film, which is in UK cinemas now, courtesy of Paramount, and also just discussing our thoughts on the legacy of the Scream franchise. I'm also quickly going to touch on another film that I watched recently, which is called The 355 from Universal. So, without further ado, let's dive into the news. So there's only really one kind of major news story which I feel like we probably should talk about which is the reveal of Leslie Grace's Batgirl costume. Now, in the last week, Batgirl started filming in Glasgow here in the UK. At first, we were treated to plenty of uh, set photography as they were setting up the streets to convert Glasgow into Gotham. We then got looks at Leslie Grace as Barbara Gordon on set. We've seen her in some GCPD paraphernalia and then just dressed as Barbara Gordon. And then probably due to the fact that they'll be doing some location shooting with her in costume, they then released a quick official photo of her suited up as Batgirl. Now, I, I'm not going to linger on my thoughts on it too much. If you want to see what I think about it, you can head over to our YouTube channel. You can watch a video of me discussing how the costume links back to the comic books and just analysing some of the detail of it and overall how happy I am with the way it looks. So really, I want to hear from you, Boy Wonder. What were your thoughts on this Batgirl costume reveal? It looks all right. Okay. Uh, you're probably not as familiar maybe with where it comes from in the comics. Does it look like Yvonne Craig to you and not much else? It just looks like a nice Batgirl costume. Okay. Anything about it that you particularly like? Homemade aspect of it? Anything? Much I don't really mind, to be honest. It's just one picture. It's true. It's one picture. We've not seen it in action yet, so we don't really know what it's... Uh, what it's going to look like in action. Uh, did you have any kind of expectations of what you were hoping she might look like when you saw her suited up? No. Hmm. Okay, so would you say pleasantly surprised? Uh, pleasantly intrigued. Hmm. Okay. So this comes from the Burnside era of the comics from 2014. This was a costume redesign which, uh, so in its comic form, comes from artist Babs Tarr and writer Cameron Fletcher. This was when, uh, this was post- death of the family when Joker had kind of tried to pull apart Batman and the Bat family. She had decided to up sticks and leave her apartment in Cherry Tree, don't ask me why, I know neighbourhoods in Gotham, and move over the river. So she moved away from central Gotham and moved to the suburb of Burnside. She kind of goes back to basics and starts from scratch again, gets rid of the, the black and yellow or black and gold costume which was given to her by Bruce, kind of gets rid of all that tech and stuff and really strikes out on her own. So I think this looks cool. It's probably a bit shinier than I would have expected, which is maybe the thing that's taken getting used to the most. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah. Because if you look at it in the comics, although it's very much like a, a like biker gear that she's adjusted, it's the the way it's coloured and the way it's it's inked in the books is very matte, and this is obviously very shiny. So it's, it takes a bit of getting used to in terms of the the material that it's made out of, but. To me, this looks like a Barbara Gordon who's decided that she needs to take matters into her own hands and has put together a costume. So I'm I'm pleasantly surprised and intrigued to see where they go. I'm really glad they went with purple and yellow, though. Mm. Kind of harkens back to Yvonne Craig and the 60s show, and 
it's a it's a good era of the comics to choose from. I'm sure there'll be people that really wanted the grey and yellow, which is what she wears in her year one comic, or the the black and yellow from her kind of peak days. But this to me, this is the one that I wanted to see. So there's been lots of photos from the set this week, and again, if you want to hear us or hear me talk about those a bit more, head over to the YouTube videos to check them out. But there are nods to Vicky Vale on set. Black Canary has been spotted in photos on not as in the actress on set but images of black canary are on posters across this version of gotham there's been links to um i've now forgotten his name i want to call him dr strange hugo strange that's what i want to call him uh there's also there's some imagery that that looks like it's reflective of hugo strange there's been a reference to lex luther on the front of one of the magazine covers that's there as well as also a reference to the court of owls who are being investigated by uh the Gotham, it's Gotham Tatler magazine for that one. Uh, so it certainly seems like there's a lot of heavy detail in the wider Bat world and also, I guess, feeding in some of the wider DC world in terms of mentions of Lex Luthor. So I'm particularly excited to see where this goes. Are you intrigued, Boy Wonder? Very. How do you feel about the rumours I was telling you about that Nightwing and that Dick might appear in this? It would make sense. It would make sense because they're very heavily tied together in the comics. Um, but how would you feel about it not being Brenton Thwaites? Well, it depends who it is. True, yeah, it does depend who it is. It might not be a recognisable face, could be an unknown, could be somebody that we know. We will have to wait and see. We don't have a release date for Batgirl yet. Production continues in Glasgow. Uh, it's one of the first Hollywood productions that's going to shoot entirely in Glasgow, not just uh, do certain scenes there. If all of those magazines that I just mentioned are to be believed, then they're all published in November, December 2022. So I think we can probably expect this film to release in November or December 2022. But until we get that confirmed, watch this space because we're going to be following this one very, very closely. I had one other news story that I wanted to mention this week, which is the uh, announcement of the UK release of the absolutely fantastic sci-fi fantasy film The Wanting Mare by director Nicholas Ash Bateman. We actually covered this film about a year ago. James did a review of it and also sat down for an interview with uh, with Nicholas, the director. And uh, finally, it's now coming to the UK on February the 7th on digital platforms, courtesy of Bulldog Film Distribution. Um, this film took five years to make. It's a mysterious and unpredictable world called Anmir, where everything is not quite what it seems. And it's a huge special effects kind of masterpiece in terms of everything is just beautifully rendered in terms of the world that these characters inhabit and it's it's kind of a sci-fi fantasy romance the the synopsis is in the world of Anmir, north of the city of withran wild horses run through the moorlands these horses are the city's most valuable export and as a result are hunted trapped sold and shipped across the sea once a year for those in withran this trade passage creates lucrative and exciting possibilities the chance to escape their constantly sweltering city and escape to the western continent of Levithan, or simply to begin again. Meanwhile, at a small house just north of the city, a young woman dies in childbirth. Her last words are an attempt to tell her daughter of the life she'll have and the inheritance of a recurring dream that must be kept secret. For it contains the memories of another age long before us, one where magic and myth were alive in the world. If you head over to our YouTube, you can watch the full interview between James and Nicholas Ashbakeman. It's a really cool chat between the two of them about how this world came to be and how this film came together over that five-year period. And then you can pick up The Wanting Mare on digital platforms in the UK from February the 7th, 2022. 
For all the latest news, head to our website, which is www.getyourcomicon.co.uk. And for the most breaking up-to-date news, don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, both at GetYourComicCon. Don't forget that if you're looking to get more out of the Get Your Comic Con podcast, you can now subscribe to us via Patreon. Subscribers get 24 hours early access to most of our podcasts, as well as exclusive episodes, bonus videos, and extra content. You can sign up now at patreon.com forward slash getyourcomicon. So before we dive in on a review of Paramount Pictures Scream, which, uh, as I said, is in cinemas now, I wanted to just have a quick talk about the legacy of the Scream franchise, because this is our franchise that, and this will surprise you listening at home too, Boy Wonder here is actually a fan of Scream. True or false? Uh, true. So this is this is no ordinary horror franchise. For the horror phobe and the complete horror averse sat opposite me here, uh, this is a series of films that he actually likes. And spoiler alert: we went to the cinema together, and he actually saw this at the cinema. He who will not come with me to watch horror or watch horror in the house. So, can you tell me why Scream? Is something that you enjoy when you are not a fan of horror i don't really think of it as horror no okay what do you think of it as i don't know it's just more of a it's not scary no it's definitely not scary i mean even this this new one i didn't i can't say that i i jumped at any point during the film but there's obviously something about it that sets it apart from say like halloween which is a similar type of film or other slasher movies there are plenty of slashes out there, which I know I've tried to get you to watch and you haven't. So there must be something about Scream in particular. Is it Courtney Cox? Is it because you're a Friends fan? Mm, no. I don't know what it is. I just, I've always liked it. Hmm. When did you see the first one? Oh, when it came out. When did it come out? Well, 25 years ago, because it's 25 years since Ghostface first attacked the town of Woodsboro. Oh, I can't have seen it 25 years ago. I'd only been five. And the rest... You'd have been nine. I must have seen it when I was sort of early pre-teens. I don't remember when I first saw it. Okay. It was 1996 when it first came out. Yeah, I would have been seven. Seven? Well. You definitely didn't see it at the cinema. No, I definitely didn't see it at the cinema. I didn't either, to be fair. Uh, I have to admit that I've not seen any of the Scream films at the cinema until this most recent one. So this was a, a first cinema experience for me. Again, I would have been far too young to have seen the first couple of films at the cinema. So... Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was far too young to have seen them at the cinema. Um, I think I saw. I actually think I saw Scream Two before I saw Scream. I'm sure I would have rushed to watch Scream Two purely because obviously I was a Buffy fan and it had Sarah Michelle Gellar in it for a brief period of time. So I think that would have been my introduction to the franchise. Would be watching that and then going back. Similar to I know what you did last summer. Like I jumped on like what Sarah Michelle Gellar in. I like that one as well, though. <laughs> That's true. You do like that one. So do you like slasher movies? Maybe. Because you like that other one as well. What other one? Urban Legends. Oh, yeah. I remember that, yeah. I didn't mind that so one. So you like really crappy, naughty slasher films? Yeah. Bit of cheese. Okay. Teen drama. Yeah. With a link to either Buffy or Dawson's Creek. Oh, yeah. You got very excited at a Dawson's Creek reference in this most recent one. But I digress. We're talking about the legacy of the original franchise here. So had you seen... I know we rewatched all four recently before we went to see this new one. But had you seen all four previously... No, I think I'd only seen the first three. Okay, yeah. That makes sense, because the fourth one actually came out when you and I were already in London. So we would have seen it together if we if you'd seen the fourth one. So we must have just totally missed that one somehow. So what were your thoughts on the sequels then that you had seen? What were your thoughts on two and three? 
so I'd like to in three. There is a there's a kind of sliding scale that people think of in terms of the quality of the sequels. Although I think three is kind of the one that's considered maybe the least successful in the franchise, but we'll touch on that in a sec. So would you say uh, so? Was what's your what's your pre the new film? What was your ranking of Scream in terms of how you would rate them? I don't think I would ever really rank them. I mean, they're all awful. <laughs> so mine was um, the way I would have ranked them was one two, uh, one two four three before I'd seen this one. I just see them as sort of cheesy, slashery teen horror films. Yeah, yeah. but obviously there's a there's a marked difference in the third film. So the third film was released, um, or was produced and released not long after the the horrible shooting at Columbine High. So Hollywood was in a very sort of anti-teen slasher horror, you know, kind of teens attacking others place at that point in time, which is why when you when you look back now, although there are elements of comedy across the Scream franchise, when you look at Scream 3 in particular, there is there's very you don't see anywhere near as much as you do in other films and there is much more of a sense of comedy not just with um, Courtney Cox's fringe uh, about that third film. Yeah, I suppose. I like saying quite nicely with scary movie. I like scary movie. Yeah, true. You do like scary movie. I don't see scary movie. I find a bit too silly at times. I think, which is the one that we always talk about. Is that the first one? Uh, or the second one? Which one's got Tim Curry? Whichever one's got Tim Curry is the one that I like, but I find that franchise to be quite sort of silly overall. But then that's the that's the point of it. It's a it's a send up, so it's always supposed to have been like that. I guess for me, we know that I'm a big fan of horror. I'm a big fan of slashes. I like a lot of these movies. Um, I did have a lot of issues with three in that comedy sense of it, but I understand, given the circumstance at the time, why it was the way it was. I think having watched four, four is such a massive return to form because it kind of goes back to the roots of what the franchise was. I just I was very excited to see what they did with with this one. Were you excited for this one? I wasn't sure, because you never know when they do these requels if they're going to be good or not. Oh, using a term from the film as well. Uh, we'll talk about requels, that will probably come up in a minute when we talk about this this latest film. Yeah, I guess there is always a sense of uncertainty. I think they make a very good point in the new one as well, where they talk about the fact that there isn't like a, there isn't a Jason Voorhees... There isn't like a... Ghostface is a very famous character in terms of horror cinema, much like, you know... Halloween, much like you know, Freddy or Jason, all of them. There are you know, there are these icons, but the thing with Ghostface is, it's the costume that is famous, that is the the you know the icon of this franchise. It's not a person in particular, which I think sets it apart a little bit. Would you agree? Agree. It's more of a the thing, isn't it? It's an idea, a symbol. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he's kind of a that that mask is a symbol. Um, actually, have you ever watched the TV series? I've never watched them. There's a TV series? Yeah, there is. So there's three seasons. Uh, there was a, a season one and two of Scream, and then there was a third season, which was kind of a different show called Scream Resurrection. It was um, originally produced for MTV. Uh, I think the VH1 team were behind it as well. They were owned by the same group of people. And so it was kind of un- unconnected, but still featured Ghostface. So the first two seasons are situated in the fictional town of Lakewood, where a string of murders take place. At the centre of those murders was Emma Duval, played by Willa Fitzgerald, a teenage girl who is somehow tied to the town's dark past. That series premiered in 2015, and then second series was in 2016. 
and renewed for a third season. Uh, but that became a reboot in 2017 with this idea of Scream Resurrection. Uh, Brett Matthews would serve as the main showrunner for this new version. In addition, Queen Latifah, Shaquem Comper and Yan Lee Arty would be added as executive producers under a new production company that took over. And it actually starred RJ Seiler, who was the Blue Ranger in the Power Rangers movie a couple of years ago. Mm. Yeah. So uh, it then moved to VH1 and the third season premiered in 2019. That was when it was announced that it was called Scream Resurrection and uh, that became the final season. So it wasn't set in Woodsboro. It didn't feature, um, you know, Dewey wasn't there. None of those characters were there that we know from the shows. It was completely disconnected, but somehow still worked in the idea of Ghostface. It was just a Ghostface in a different town attacking people for a different reason. Oh. Yeah. That's probably I've never I'm seen. pretty sure I've seen maybe like a pilot episode and that's all I've bothered to watch. Uh, so it just, it doesn't seem like something that would particularly grab me as it's not connected to the main franchise so I didn't really bother with it all that much. So I guess that brings us to this new film uh, which is now in cinemas as of Friday. It's in cinemas globally from Paramount Pictures. It is directed by, he says loading IMDb quickly, uh, Matt Bettinelli Alpin and Tyler Gillett written by James Vanderbilt and Guy Busick also Kevin Williamson who, who is obviously uh, credited with creating the characters. So obviously returning for this fifth film are Neve Campbell as Sidney Prescott, Courtney Cox as Gail Weathers Riley, and David Arquette as Dewey Riley. Don't feel like I ever knew his surname was Riley. I don't know why, but that felt like a new detail to me. And so this film now stars new cast members Melissa Barrera as Sam Carpenter. Marley Shelton actually returns from a previous film as Deputy Judy Hicks. She's obviously now Sheriff Judy Hicks, though. We've got Jenna Ortega as Tara Carpenter, also starring Ardilla Minette, Jack Quaid, Jasmine Savoy-Brown, Sonia Amar, Mikey Madison, Mason Gooding, and Kyle Goldner. I nearly said another name, which is not actually on the list on IMDb in front of me, but I will make sure to not mention that name. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so... As this film is so fresh in cinemas, I don't want to spoil it too much. But from here on in, there will be some kind of, let's let's say, mild spoilers. We will hold back from revealing too much. If we suddenly stray off, I will try and give you a ahead of time warning. Did you enjoy this film? I did. A good cinema going experience? It was a reasonably good cinema going experience. So we both said that we didn't find it scary. I, I, I didn't jump. I didn't feel particularly anxious at any point. I think it's fair to say that this film follows a pattern so far in the last few months of films being incredibly meta. We talked about that a lot with The Matrix. I think this is how you do meta correctly. Now, I know I praised The Matrix and I do, I enjoyed that film. And, you know, if you go back and listen to our previous episode, you can hear both of our thoughts on it. You were less keen on it. I do feel that The Matrix. The Matrix was incredible. I was going to call it the Matrix. The Matrix was incredibly meta and maybe a little bit heavy handed in some of how it did it. And although this is similarly kind of laying it on a slab, I feel like Scream has done it much more cleverly. Yes. Something that I particularly enjoy about this, which uh, again, this veers slightly into minor spoiler territory, but there is a reference to, obviously, the Stab franchise, which exists within the Scream franchise as a kind of way of having that meta subtext. But there is an eighth movie 
in the Stab franchise, which has been released since the last film, uh, which was, I believe they say it was critically well received, but was panned by fans of the franchise for being awful. And it's a it's a passing comment that it's the eighth movie in the franchise, and it was directed by the same director as Knives Out, which is a reference to Ryan Johnson, who did direct the eighth movie in the Star Wars franchise, which is obviously very very um, divisive, shall we say, amongst the Star Wars fan base. And it actually means that Scream 5 in many ways becomes a huge critique on toxic fan bases, which I think is absolutely hilarious. What? Give me your thoughts on Hollywood poking fun at its own toxic fans. It's quite brave and quite funny. Mm, yeah. I would love to know what somebody who kind of falls into that... I mean, if you are a toxic fan, you probably do not refer to yourself as a toxic fan. But I would like to know what somebody who we would class in that category would feel like when they watch this film. Because I feel like there are people who will watch this and come out of it being heavily offended because they recognise the fact that Hollywood is kind of sticking the middle finger up at them. Which in the middle of a slasher film is flipping genius. It's not the kind of film you expect that kind of message to come across. No, which is why I think some of what they did here is really clever. And if you read some of the, um, the reviews... Uh, so actually I didn't get to go to a press screening of this because it was at a very very awkward time so Jed did his first piece for us uh, so a huge thank you to him for being able to step in and go to that screening and you know he really enjoyed it he gave it a great review which is up on the website now if you want to read it but some of the professional reviews really critiqued that idea of it being meta and said that it was you know it fell very flat and it was very dull and uninteresting in that respect and did nothing new or nothing exciting and I would argue that is absolutely not the case. I thought this film was very exciting in terms of reigniting what made Scream great in the first place. I mean, Scream, if you go back to the first Scream, as much as it was a slasher film, and, you know, Ghostface I do find scary in that first film, it did still poke... I mean, the whole idea of what's your favourite scary movie, it's poked fun at its own genre right from the start. So to do that in a much more contemporary way and to do it so razor sharp, I think is brilliant. And I've trailed off into a very long sentence. Please say something. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what do you think about the new cast? Any standouts in the new cast for you? Um, I was a little bit worried that we're going to try and do like a Scream 25 or whatever is next with the new cast. But I hope they sort of leave it as it is now and then that's it. Yeah, so where we are recording this right now, we don't have, unless it's happened since I hit record, we don't have full numbers for the weekend yet, but it was looking like it was going to make around 30 to 35 million. Here we go, 36 million, so there is an update. Um, so uh, we can complain about Omicron, says Deadline, but I wouldn't necessarily complain that the variant is spoiling the top films at the box office, as Paramount and Spyglass Media Scream has had a robust day of 13.3 million and it eased accordingly, just like horror movies do on Saturday, with 10 million on its way to a 31.5 million three-day weekend. And it's a bank holiday weekend in America, so it's looking like 36 million for the full weekend at the moment. And that is actually, I believe, more money than Scream 4 made uh, in its entire run at the cinema. Wow. So... It's not a huge... I mean, it's nowhere near kind of Spider-Man and it's pushing 400 million in an opening weekend. But for the fifth movie in a franchise that spans 25 years, that's a that's a big weekend. So there is, there is a danger here that they might want more. I feel like if they were to make more, we've closed the door on Sydney, Gale and Dewey. And it could shift focus to Sam, Melissa Barrera's character, but I also feel like 
uh, Sam and Tara were probably leaving Woodsboro at the end of the film, so I'm, I'm not really... I don't... For once, I don't know what they could do to bring it back. Yeah, I don't... There isn't... I don't know how they could do it. They've kind of... They've pulled on the, those tenuous strings as, as mm. much as they can now. Yeah. Uh, sorry, so we were, we were talking about Newcast there. Any, any other standouts for you in the in the Newcast? No, I don't think so. So Melissa Barrera, obviously from In the Heights. What do you think of her as kind of our new de facto lead? She did a very good job. And a lot of reviews have singled out Jenna Ortega as her younger sister as being as excellent in this film. She played uh, annoying teen sister very well. <laughs> annoying teen sister who seemed to enjoy getting high whilst in hospital. Um the the kids who are kind of her best friends so you've got dylan minette who plays uh wes hicks that's uh, so wes i presume named after the late wes craven who directed all the previous entries in the franchise you had jasmine savoy brown as mindy uh, her twin brother is chad played by mason gooding you then had sonia amar as liv and mikey madison as amber what did you think of the group of friends they're probably very reflective of culture today Perhaps I don't yeah, understand the yeah. use of today. No, I didn't feel like it rammed any diversity or anything down our throats. But you, yeah, you had a mix of backgrounds, you had a mix of genders and sexual orientations and whatever else you might want in there. So they were a they were a diverse cast, but not in a way that it was shoved down your throat. I thought Jasmine Savoy Brown as Mindy was quite a standout. So she was the the twin sister who kept explaining the rules. So there was a connection between them. And a character from the original movies, which uh, kind of, I felt like that moment came out of left field. Would you agree? Uh, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but led to some some good comedic moments and some interesting developments in terms of how self-aware the plot is as to what's happening. I want to single out the wonderful Jack Quaid as Richie, uh, a.k.a. Lieutenant Boimler, a.k.a. Um, Oh god, I can't remember his name in the boys. Why can't I remember his name? <laughs> Huey from the boys. Uh, I think Jack Quaid is brilliant. I had some thoughts on his casting in this film, which pretty much all came true through the course of the film. But I thought he was brilliant in it. He's a very diverse actor. Versatile. Versatile. <laughs> My, I said this on Twitter when I after we got out of the cinema. I obviously tweeted a reaction like I would do normally. Uh, I said that my only kind of disappointment with with this film was there was a scene in the hospital where um, Sam, so Melissa Barrera's character, is attacked by Ghostface in the kind of like relatives room, and uh, she's screaming for help. But Richie, her boyfriend Jack Quaid, does not come running after her because he sat next to Tara in the hospital in her room in the bed. Um, he sat next to her with his headphones in, and he says he's watching Stab on Netflix, which I felt was a hugely missed opportunity for him to say that he was watching Star Trek Lower Decks. I would have enjoyed that. Well, it's funny, because when I tweeted it, Jed replied to say that he was thinking in his head, he would say he was watching The Boys. Yeah. So it kind of depends on what franchise you want to tie Jack Quaid to, but in my head, he will always be Lieutenant Boimler. Yeah. Was there anything... Uh, okay, actually, no, I was going to ask you if there's anything that you didn't particularly like about this, but before we get to that, um, how did you feel about how this looped in the legacy characters? So Sydney, Gale and Dewey, how do you think it brought them in? I think it sort of, it did it in a good way, so they weren't just forcibly there. There was a, a tangible connection as to why they would be there. Yep. It's not like I was just walking down, I came for a visit, and oh look, 
this just happened to happen. A murder. Yeah. Uh, I would agree with you. So it's it's funny, isn't it? Because it's only when Mindy was explaining the kind of the rules of a requel. So there is there's a whole discussion about the fact that this is kind of all because of a reaction to the uh, the way that Stab 8 was received by the audience, that the audience didn't like it. There was a feeling that the, the studio had kind of stuck the middle finger up to the original fan base and gone in a different direction and that it hadn't worked and it didn't evoke the originals. All a complete social satire on the on what happened with uh, Star Wars, directed by Ryan Johnson. I can't even remember that. What was that film called? <laughs> Star Wars? It came after Force Awakens and before The Rise of Skywalker. I know I'm not a huge fan of it, but I don't go on about the fact that I'm not a huge fan of it. I can't actually remember what it was called, which is terrible. Uh, that probably says that I'm some sort of quasi-toxic fan. Anyway, um, while she's explaining the rules of the fact that uh, this, what is playing out in this film is a direct response to the poor reception of Stab 8, she, she goes on about the fact that Hollywood is unable to just do like a fresh start it has to be somehow connected to the past and that that means it's like a it's not a reboot or a sequel it's a requel in which you bring back legacy characters and have storylines which tie to the past and bring those people in but while also introducing a new cast and moving things forward in a new and more interesting way that adds more context Um, and it was only in that moment that I suddenly thought I suppose you're kind of right because with Force Awakens and that sequel trilogy to Star Wars you tied it back, you brought back Han and everyone and they killed off Han uh, with Ghostbusters Afterlife which was obviously in cinemas just last year and hugely successful we introduced a new set of characters but they were tied to the past in that you know, they were the grandchildren of one of the original Ghostbusters and so that character and the other leg- legacy Ghostbusters get to appear in it and it's true we are in a we are in a world where we're, f- we're full of requels I mean The Flash is coming up this year is technically a requel. It's you know it's Ezra Miller's character in his first solo movie, but in his first solo movie, we're bringing back Michael Keaton for a a requel of the DC universe. <laughs> Requels are the bread and butter of the film world these days. There are no new ideas, are there? No. <laughs> a new film. Yeah. So I thought that's. I actually think that's really clever, and I think there were times where I thought this film basically could have written itself in the fact that it was a requel. Again, The Matrix is a requel as well. Um, so I, I do feel like in that respect, requels are kind of slightly lazy storytelling. But if you are clever enough to take the piss out of that whilst doing it, then I think all all fair to you for doing a great job of it. Um, I don't want to spoil who the ghost faced or ghost faces or group of ghost faces are in this film. But what do you think about the reveal? Did the reveal of the killer and or killers work for you i wasn't surprised no i wasn't hugely surprised there was more to it than i expected uh, but i wasn't hugely surprised but did it work i think so i mean it was a bit obvious compared to the other films but it is what it is i suppose it was but you know what i do think there was almost enough implausibility to it that you could have questioned yourself as you were going on yeah I don't think it was so heavily signposted. I do think that they, I didn't feel like it was trying to lead us in any particular direction. I do feel like it was left up to us to make that decision. But I do think there was enough in the story that it wasn't plainly obvious whilst being 
fairly straightforward at the same time. What about the level of gore and violence? So this was rated an 18. Uh, do you agree that it was rated 18? I thought it was a bit tame. I believe that it is due to the number of times you saw people stabbed. Um. So I believe there is a, there's kind of a limit on how much you can show of that kind of attack. And once you reach that threshold, any more kind of stabs, you are automatically going to be rated up because it's the, the level of violence that you're seeing, whether it's bloody or not. So I think there are a few kills where you do see the amount of times that Ghostface stabs the person and that's ultimately what pushed it to an 18 rather mm. than it being hugely bloody. It's like, um, it's a rule that I only recently learned and somebody will probably reply to this and tell me that it's a myth, but I believe it to be true. But in a, um, in like a 15 or PG, I don't think you can do it in PG-13, I think in a 15 UK-wise you're allowed to F-bomb once. And if you F-bomb a second time, that automatically becomes an 18 for language. So, you know, you're allowed you're allowed to do it as a passing comment, but if you if there is sustained usage, then it automatically becomes kind of heavily mature rating. Oh. I know. Maybe one day we'll do a lesson on the BBFC. That's the British Board of Film Classification. Oh, that sounds terrific. <laughs> Doesn't it just? Anything else that you would like to say about Scream? Anything that you think that I have missed that you would like to comment on? Did you enjoy seeing Courtney Cox as a Friends fan and a fan of this franchise back once again for the Renegade Master? Yes. I just Beastie Boys quoted you there. You did. I'm impressed. No, I mean, I think you've covered it all in great and actually let's okay one more thing that i will just touch on then uh obviously wes craven directed the first four films and sadly he has now passed away so this is the first time it we've got a screen film not directed by him dedicated to him though did it still feel like scream do you feel like anything was off or did the the new directors do a good job of continuing no i felt it was a scream film good I'm, i'm glad i felt that as well so i think they did a good job of making it new but not taking it too far away from the the kind of the originals. I was going to say the source material, but you know what I mean, the original films. Well, would you would you thumbs up this? I would thumbs up it. I gave this film uh, four stars on my uh, my review on Letterboxd. I highly recommend this. So, uh, last things on screen then. Um, would you now rank the films, and where would you rank this amongst them? I don't think I would rank them. Okay. Well, my ranking now... Just to ruin your question. (laughs) Thanks. Now that I've seen this film, my ranking is... uh, My least favourite is three. I then have four. I then have two. I then have five. So this most recent one. And my favourite one is the original. So I put this in second place. Very close between Scream 2 and this latest one, which is obviously just called Scream, which is confusing, which is why I refer to it as Scream 5. There we go then. Scream is in UK cinemas now, courtesy of Paramount UK. So I just wanted to talk about another film, which I mentioned the last time we podcasted, that I have seen but Martin has not, and that is The 355 from Universal Pictures. This film is written and directed by Simon Kinberg. It's also co-written with Teresa Rebeck. It stars Jessica Chastain, Penelope Cruz, Bing Bing Fan, Diane Kruger, Lupita Nyong'o, it also stars Sebastian Stan, Pablo Scola, and Jason Fleming. Yeah, that's everyone. That's all the main cast, anyway. So this film is about a group of female spies, uh, international female spies, who come together in the wake of a potentially apocalyptic event uh, to try and stop said event from taking place. 
it's an interesting story how this film got made, which is why I kind of feel inclined to push it a bit more than maybe it deserves, just because it was made completely out with the Hollywood business model. So it was an idea that Jessica Chastain had for a kind of espionage movie with a completely female main cast. She supposedly had this idea back when she was filming X-Men Dark Phoenix, which is not maybe the greatest thing to bring up because it's not the best film in the world. Because obviously she was the the alien character in that. Yeah, you're looking at me as if to say, I don't remember. I don't even remember. And so this film is directed by the same director as Dark Phoenix. <laughs> so again, not the best thing to call up because people aren't exactly clamoring for more from him given the success of that film. But she had a good enough experience working with him on that. They made another film together as well that she kind of paired up with him to to make this. But they made it out with the Hollywood system in that no major studio backed it. They they pitched it themselves to independent producers and investors who, who backed the project. And so it was kind of funded and produced outside of America in that respect. So I don't even believe any of it was filmed in America. Much of it was filmed at Leavesden, I think, here in the UK. And that is, there are a few American locations which are very UK-based. But it did also shoot in a number of international countries as well, which uh, you can see in the film. There is a there is a global aspect to it. It's just that at times uh, it's America with like a red post box <laughs> and a like BT phone box kind of scenario. We're actually now doing review styles on the website again. So uh, I gave this three stars in my review, which you can read at getyourcomicon.co.uk. And I said, bolstered by its fantastic cast, the 355 is an entertaining slice of espionage cinema. It does. I think the issue that this film will have is that it's not setting up a franchise. There are characters in this that, that you could do more with. You could tell more stories with them. However, the story of this film doesn't lend itself to immediately requiring a sequel. It's very much... It harkens back to an era where movie making wasn't about kind of multimedia domination. This isn't a film that's setting up, you know, TV spin-offs and comic books and computer games and all manner of other stuff. It's just two hours of a mystery that you as an audience member need to try and help these spies try and solve. It has some really brilliant action sequences. Uh, I believe the fight choreographers were uh, James Embry and James O'Donnell. Uh, so there's some really excellent hand-to-hand combat scenes. Jessica Chastain throws herself into it massively. There is some great tech in there. Each of the characters of the, the four leads, so um, Chastain, Cruz, Nyogo, and um, Kruger, have their own kind of aspects that they bring to it. Chastain's the kind of all-rounder and the, and the fighter. Lupita Nyogo's character is from MI5. She's a kind of tech expert. Diane Kruger's character is a demolitions expert and Penelope Cruz is a psychologist who kind of gets wrapped into all of it so they each bring their own kind of aspect to the table that works really well together and they're they're a good cast with some great chemistry it's just that the story around them is a little bit flat and doesn't quite live up to what it should be if that makes sense it does thank you I know you haven't seen it so I know you can't contribute much to this um I would still like you to see it because I feel like you might enjoy it because I didn't not enjoy it my best way of explaining it is I don't feel like when you watch the trailer there's a huge amount to hook you and having come out of the cinema there isn't, you know, you're not going to be talking for hours about what you just saw. It's kind of a, it's an entertaining thing to watch that doesn't have much to take away from, if that makes sense. Hmm. My biggest issue and I, I, I don't have an explanation for this, but my biggest issue seems to be that Bing Bing Fan didn't film her scenes with everyone else. So 
she does have some well-documented legal troubles which have been, you know, well-documented. I just said that. But <laughs> they were kind of over as this film was starting production. And so it's it's odd that she wasn't there with the rest of the cast. But you can see they try really hard to slot her in. But it feels like the way that they've constructed scenes to slot her in makes it even more obvious that she's not there. So, like, you will have a scene with a wide shot where the four main characters are all together, but she's in the same room, but she only ever appears in a close-up. And you're like, why is everyone else in a wide shot and she's only in a close-up? Like, it just it's things like that that are really obvious. Or her character would, in the middle of a fight scene, run across the room and she would have her own shots where she's fighting, which are just her taking on a bunch of goons, while the others are all doing the same thing. But when you would go to a wide shot of all of them fighting, her character would run across the screen from one side to the other, only ever facing away. Mm. And so it just... You know, like when someone's pregnant in a TV show, so they always stand them behind something or they're always holding something. The way her character interacts with the world makes it really obvious that she's not there. So that was kind of my biggest issue with it. Uh, Otherwise, it is an enjoyable couple of hours at the cinema, which I... Would love to know what other people think because unfortunately not many people have seen it and so I don't really have anyone to talk to about it. So I'm interested to know what people think. So if you have seen the 355, uh, get in touch on social media. You can find me at Neil Vag and let me know what you thought. It's got a relatively short window because it's it's like this film is scheduled to hell. So it's got like a 17 day theatrical window before it will become also available to rent on some digital platforms. Then it will go to Universal's streaming service in America, which I think is Peacock, I want to call it, uh, for like a month. And then it will go to Prime for, I think it's 10 months. Like they ha- they already have the window. And then it will go back to like NBC's streaming services after that and be available probably on Netflix. But because it's all been done independently, basically this film went into the cinema with its next like 10 years of life already mapped out in terms of where you'll be able to buy it and watch it. So I'm intrigued to know what people think of it. I feel like it deserves more credit because it is, it's like a creator-owned comic project, just on a much bigger scale, and obviously a very expensive scale, which probably means it won't hugely make its money back. But it's just an interesting watch, and I would be intrigued to know what people think about it. If I pick it up, will you watch it? Um, uh, Maybe. <laughs> okay. Maybe we'll leave it there. And that's it for this week. We're done. That that feels like we breezed through that episode there. Uh, So, uh, in a couple of weeks when we are back, I'm looking at my notebook to see what's next on the list. We were supposed to be discussing Morbius, but Morbius has been delayed until April. So, our next episode, which is due out the first week of Feb, believe it or not, we're nearly in the second month of the year already, is uh, anyone's game at this point. We'll have to see what comes up in the next couple of weeks. I don't have... Oh, we're going to see Sing 2 in the next week. That's going to be exciting. We've been invited to a screening of Sing 2, so we'll be checking that out. I might need to watch the original again. I've only seen it once, but I enjoyed it, so I'm looking forward to more of Taron Egerton's lovely singing voice. So we'll have to check that out. Uh, We still need to watch The King's Man. We've not seen that. We need to catch it before it's gone from the cinema. I've been blasting through books. I finished June. I've read a Star Trek book called Star Trek Coda Book 1. You are reading The Wheel of Time. Are you enjoying The Wheel of Time? I'm slowly picking my way through it. <laughs> and what are we watching on TV? We're re-watching Picard at the moment. We've got Reacher coming up soon from Amazon Prime, which I'm hoping to get a sneaky look at. But yeah, the world is fair game at the moment. Mm-hmm. So we shall have to see what comes up when we are back in two weeks' time. But until then, 
uh, from me stay safe stay well and we will see you very very soon bye, bye.